All right, this week wraps up our Advent series as we have been considering the coming of Jesus, both his coming as a baby as well as his impending coming to save those who are his own. And so we've talked about how Jesus' coming inspires hope. And this hope then leads us to, to prepare for Jesus and to long for his return to come and to put things right. And last week then we spoke of joy, how what Jesus has done, specifically his bloody death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and his provision for righteousness, that that is the key to our joy. And today, now we are going to be looking at the theme of love, uh, looking at it in 1 John, again, just one verse. Uh, so let's read 1 John this morning, um, well, this one verse, and uh, then we'll jump into this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. As last week, as it was the case for last week, we have one verse and there are seven words. Uh, but there is so much in these seven words. So this begins, we love, okay? So now let's, let's talk about where this is coming from, okay? So this book was written by one of Jesus' disciples. His name was John, and John is writing to Christians. He is writing to churches. So we know that when he is speaking of we here, he is referring to Christians specifically. And the way that he is stating this here is it's an implication. He's making clear that this is what Christians do. Okay, this is just who Christians are. We love. Now, we live in a time in our country where many professing Christians are threatening bloodshed and war. I heard this week... Uh, of another uh, of so-called Christians cursing the womb of another Christian because of something this woman had said. It's really easy for us to maybe just write Christian in a social media bio, but to live like a Christian, for our actions to be married with our words is altogether different. So now we need to remember that this John that's writing this for us today is the same one who wrote in his gospel that the world will know that we follow Jesus by our love for one another. This is how the world will know who we are, by the way in which we love one another. So bottom line here, Christians are a people who love. We are a people who are marked by our love for others. This is just what it means to be a Christian. Now, this conversation about loving others needs to be nuanced for sure. But the way that many people want to nuance this conversation is that because someone said or someone else is stupid in some certain way, or because someone does something that I disagree with, that, that I now have the right to do unto others what has been done to me. And that's not in the Bible at all. 
Casey and I had to learn some hard lessons in our early years of marriage about loving one another. And I'm speaking, when I say Casey and I, I'm most specifically speaking about myself. You see, I would tell Casey that I loved her. I felt love towards my wife, but I had to come to learn that my love for her was oftentimes predicated on my personal preferences. In order for me to really learn to love her, I had to know her. I had to know what was meaningful to her. So I had to take an interest in her and not do it so that I could just manipulate her to get what I wanted. Love has regard for another. We're always looking then what is meaningful to someone else. How would they feel love? Not, not just how I think they want to be loved, but to actually know how they desire to be loved. So love then is a baseline marker of a Christian. Now, when I walk into the room, a lot of times I know that I'm probably not the, the brightest star in the sky. Okay. I'm probably not going to be the smartest person in the room and that's okay. Despite not being the best looking person, despite uh, maybe not being the smartest person, laying hold to the claim of probably being the tallest person in the room, and that's it, okay? What I can do is I can love. I can do that. As a Christian, I am called to this, to love others with no exceptions, with no exceptions. So even if I might think someone has an idea that, that may be bordering on dumb, it doesn't matter. I'm still called to love them. In the face of people rejecting me, I'm still called to love them. In the context of a church, if someone isn't following me as their pastor, I'm still called to love them. If someone ignores me, I'm still called to love. If someone considers themselves my enemy, I am still called to love. And love, most specifically, should be shared amongst Christians. Recently, I've had uh, a couple of people that have told me that they've shared this with me verbally or to my face. They said, I feel loved by you. I feel loved by you. This is such an encouragement for me. And this should not be weird at all. Okay. Do you hear that from people? Do you live in such a way? Do you love others, pursue others in such a way that you hear that from them, that they are expressing love to you, that they feel loved by you? It is clear from the beginning of this verse and the whole of the Bible, that Christians are called to love. But that is not the main focus of this verse. Us loving others is a result. It's an effect that flows from a cause. Okay, so we read here, we love because. 
because. As much as we may like to think of ourselves as being remarkable at loving others, the repeated theme in the Bible is that our love for others is caused by someone outside of, uh, of ourselves. And this is another hint at the biblical reality that we do not save ourselves. We are not saved because of a decision that we make. We are saved because of God. He alone saves us. He comes to us. He does everything to save us. We merely respond to him. And similarly then, when we're getting this instruction to love, we love others not because we do something impressive or we are impressive in and of ourselves or because we're noble, but we love others because Jesus has first loved us. He has acted upon us. He has given us a model. He has changed our hearts. And this, is, this distinction is so important for us to get. This is a piece of the puzzle in us reading and understanding the whole of the Bible, the whole message that we find in it. If we ever think that we are to be congratulated for our love towards another person, we overestimate ourselves. If we ever think that we are to be congratulated for our love for another, we are overestimating ourselves. Our capacity to love others and when I say this, our capacity to love others, I'm not talking about actions that appear loving, but are actually filled with pride and are self-seeking, that we've got these deeper motives going on. Our capacity to love others, when I say that, I'm talking about selfless, sacrificial love that mirrors what Jesus is doing on the cross, okay? So our capacity to love others is wholly dependent on God's love for us. And we have to understand and see the coherence of the Bible here. This is right in line with the scheme of salvation that God has put forth, the whole of the message of the Bible. We are not saved by any of our actions. Salvation comes only through the work of Jesus. God saves us in spite of our efforts to rebel against his wisdom, to run away from his love, and our many foolish attempts to add to his salvation, which we can never do, okay? So, so this call to love others flows from God first loving us, okay? And now this is gonna have massive practical implications for us. So our love for others is never what we would call a, a quid pro quo. It, it never has that nature to it. And what I mean by quid pro quo is it basically means a favor for a favor, okay? So we're going to love someone so that we can then get something back from them. That's not love, okay? This reality has so humbled me in the context of my marriage. See, what this is saying is that I can never give my wife a back rub and, and then think, you owe me. I, I can't do that. that. Otherwise, I'm not actually loving her. I'm just loving myself, okay? In, in friendship, we don't do, think, do nice things for friends so that we can then put them in our debt so that they will owe us, so that we can get something back from them. That's just cruel. 
And it's not the message of the gospel at all. Notice what John does not say here. He does not say we love so that we will be loved back. He doesn't say that. Not at all. We love because God has first loved us. And this is mind-bogglingly good, okay? Now, if you have grown up in the church, I think many assertions about God's love can all too easily be taken for granted. And we, today, in this moment, are in danger of underestimating the beauty of what true love actually is. Because we oftentimes think love is just sentimentality or a patronizing gift or merely a physical expression, but the love with which God loves us is provocative. It's irrational at times. It's stunning. It's alluring. It says, God's love to us, it says here that he first loved us, okay? God first loved us. So God didn't take notice of you because he was impressed with you at church trials, with how you were loving someone else. Christians in our love for others don't stand out for how exceptional we were. Our love for God and for others is not a cause. It's an effect. It's the result of God doing something astounding in us. So I want you to think for a moment, okay? Who were you when God first loved you? Who were you? 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, talk about who some of the people in the church of Corinth were when God loved them. It says there that they were sexually immoral. And you think of any variety of sexual sin that we have on display today. They were idolaters. They were thieves. They were greedy. They were drunkards. They were revilers. So, so if this is what we know about them, we know that this is true of us as well. This preaches to us. We were the abusive spouse. We were the gossiping co-worker. We were the greedy and selfish individual who looks out for our own interests. We were the lazy friend, the idolater who loves stuff and experiences more than Jesus and his church. We were the criticizer, the disengaged because it didn't fit their preferences, the pornographer. You and I did not impress God. In many ways, if we look deep down into our hearts, we were despicable. We were not lovely. We're not easy to love. And so this is where Romans 5, 8 speaks so powerfully to us. But God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our sin, not when we had stopped sinning, while we were sinning, Christ loved us. He was dying for us in that moment. This is unreal. This is unthinkable. We cannot downplay this reality, okay? And this should challenge us in a number of ways, really deeply. First of all, okay, Christians cannot sulk in sin. You hear that? Christian, you cannot sulk in your sin. A Christian cannot feel sorry for themselves because they've sinned against God and start just telling themselves, oh, I'm such a loser. God hates me. Jesus' explicit, forceful love while we were sinners does not allow for this. His death on the cross screams love at us even when we find ourselves in the midst of sin. This is profound, you guys. Think about us. If we're in Jesus' shoes, right, when we are sinned against, what do we need? We need time, right? We need time to think, time to collect ourselves, time to cool down, maybe a whole lot of other things as well. Jesus, while you were sinning against him, was gushing love, is gushing love. We cannot downplay this. This is how we move out of sin. This is the motivation, not a bunch of guilt that gets heaped on you, but this radical love is what will move us to run away from sin. So Christians can't sulk in their sin. Also, Jesus' love presses us in how we love others, especially concerning those times when we have been sinned against by other people. So Jesus loves us first, okay? What that means is he's loving us where there isn't love, okay? Where there is not love, Jesus is injecting that into our reality. So I want you to think for just a moment, okay? Who in your life is hurting you? Who do you feel is sinning against you right now? Who in your estimation does not deserve love or is really hard for you to love right now? Our danger as sinful individuals is to amplify the sins of others while downplaying, minimizing our own sin. I want you to hear me really clearly when I say this. The ways in which you've been sinned against by someone else pale in comparison to how you've sinned against God. The ways in which you and I have sinned against God is much greater 
than how anyone else has sinned against us. Our sin against God is egregious. The more we downplay our sin, the less beautiful, the less important, the less necessary is Jesus' death on the cross. When we downplay our sin, Jesus' love for us becomes lesser. This is not what God is going for as he sends his son to die on a cross. So knowing Jesus' love then, okay, knowing it, actually knowing it, not just knowing about it, an idea out there, but knowing it, internalizing it, letting it sink deep into who we are and change us in significant ways. When we know Jesus' love, Christians will be compelled out of their bitterness. And I know at times bitterness or, or bitterness is kind of a good friend, right? When we feel like we've been sinned against. When we know Jesus' love, we'll be moved out of the grudges that we hold. So Jesus isn't He's not just looking at us, crossing his arms, furrowing his brow in disapproval and impatiently tapping his foot on the ground as he waits for us to love him first. No, he initiates. He humbles himself. He comes first as a baby is what we're celebrating in Advent. Okay. He comes first as a humble baby. And, and then He's going to humble himself to the point of death as well. Jesus is stripped of everything. All security, all comfort, everything is taken away. His love for the world led him to take on an unending verbal assault throughout history, to take on character assassination and charges of being a fraud. While he's being slandered and mocked and doubted and killed, he is loving those very same people, calling them to forgiveness, to turn away from their sin. For us to not move out of our bitterness, out of our grudges, no matter how justified we may feel in our grudge, is to not know Jesus and his love for us, to not know his forgiveness. We have all been sinned against. We have all been hurt. It's going to look differently for all of us. But what's universal for all of us is this call to know Jesus' love for us and to be changed by it, and then to love others similarly. The call is so crystal clear for us. Now, hear me. I am not saying this is easy, okay? If we are people who, thinks, who think things should be fair, this will be excruciating for us. And this is why Christianity isn't focused primarily on what we do, okay? Because this is impossible for us. The call for us then is to look at Jesus, to marvel at his love for us. This baby comes to an earth wrecked by sin. Danger immediately enshrouds him as kings feel threatened by his presence and want to kill him. Listen, 
whatever we feel, whatever bitterness we, we might find ourselves in or in our hearts, however it is might be, however hard it might be for us to love someone else, Jesus knows that. He understands that even better than we do. And so the call then is for us to trust in him. And this is why we end our sermons with gospel application, okay? And intentional focus on Jesus, not on what we need to do, but what Jesus has done for us because love and joy and hope are found in him, not in us loving somebody in a perfect way, but our hope is found in the fact that Jesus loved us in a perfect way when we were far, far from perfect. Two points of gospel application for us this morning as we wind things down. Jesus' love is so good because it was so costly. Jesus' love is so good because it was so costly. Being a church that is gospel-centered, okay, we talk a lot about Jesus' grace, okay, and his love. And the reason that we do this is because we believe this is how people are truly changed, by seeing the incomparable goodness of God, all right? But we never want you to think that we're just telling you things that are simply easy for you to believe, that we're telling you what you want to hear. Jesus' love did not come cheap. And there's this danger that we just begin to believe like true American consumers, that God is love, and he will just simply overlook our offenses. So we can just sin in whatever way, and it's not a big deal. That's not what the cross says. Center Church, Jesus never sinned, okay? He never should have been on this cursed earth. He didn't deserve to be on the cross, None of the scorn or the gossip or the sleepless nights he endured or temptations or hunger or beatings, none of that was deserved by him. He became like us because of love. He was brutally beaten and killed because of his love for you. Your sin my sin put Jesus on the cross. Your unbelief, your slander, your anger, your materialism, your greed, your complacency, your disinterest, you are the reason he was on that cross. But hear me on this. Because of your sin and because of his love, that's why he's on the cross. Because of our sin, and because of his love. This is the radical, sacrificial love he desires that we know and we be changed by, and then that we would love others so that the world might see him and know him and be changed by him. So Jesus' love is so good because it was so costly. Secondly, then, it's just an exhortation to let Jesus' love change you, okay? Notice how this is worded. This is not change yourself by Jesus' love. 
This is let Jesus love change you. Don't think that because you sang Jesus loves me as a child that you know the depth of Jesus' love for you. The reality is for all of us, there are things inside of us, things that we love that will kill us, okay? But there is one who was killed because he loved you. And so my plea for you is that you would think on Jesus' love. You would fixate on it. You would consider it deeply, that you would talk about it with one another in your families, but with this family, this corporate family as a church as well, that we would share with one another how Jesus' love is changing us, how it encourages us, how it challenges us, that we would help one another encounter his love in deeper, more profound ways.